Mountain Talk. I'm Rachel Geringer. Today on Mountain Talk, we'll learn about canaf, a fiber-producing plant native to Asia, which grows well in Kentucky and can be used to make a variety of products, including rope, twine, paper, cardboard, and more. Guiding us on our journey to learn more about canaf is Sam Hamlin, an Appalachian Transition Fellow with the Community Farm Alliance. The Appalachian Transition Fellowship is a year-long, full-time, paid program designed for 10 emerging community leaders who are committed to working in central Appalachia for the transition of the region. The Community Farm Alliance, or CFA, envisions a food and fiber system that provides nutritious food for Kentuckians in a manner that is socially, economically, and ecologically sustainable. As a part of Sam's work with CFA, she produces the Woven Roots Fiber podcast, and on this edition of Mountain Talk, we'll be listening to the podcast she produced last week, all about Kanaf. Welcome to the Woven Roots Fiber Podcast. Woven Roots, the Appalachian Fiber Story Project, is an initiative of the Community Farm Alliance to tell the story of how fiber farming, arts, and entrepreneurship in Appalachian, Kentucky can contribute to a bright future in the mountains. I'm your host, Sam Hamlin. Appalachians have a rich history of growing plant and animal fibers to make the most basic of human necessities, such as clothes, shoes, and rope, to spinning fiber to weave together beautiful quilts, tapestries, and rugs. While many fibers are now made from synthetic materials, there is a movement growing to return to natural fiber textile production. Natural fibers that come from plants and animals, such as flax, canaf, hemp, wool, and alpaca fleece, can produce fine quality textiles right in our backyard in ways that aren't harmful to our environment. Supporting the natural fiber sector benefits community farmers as well as the health of our planet. We're looking forward to bringing you stories from farmers, producers, artisans, and others who are building our region's fiber sector to benefit our people and our planet. We've got an exciting episode today on a little known fiber crop with a big future, Kanaf. Stay tuned to hear about the wonders of the canaf crop, some history of growing canaf in our region, and innovative fiber production going on right here in Kentucky. There is a little-known crop that has the potential to make big waves in the fiber landscape in Kentucky. Canaf, which has been grown for thousands of years for fiber, is an annual row crop in the same family as cotton and okra. It can grow as tall as 20 feet and can be harvested and processed for the fiber in its stalk. Though most canaf grown internationally is produced in India and China, canaf grows well in Kentucky and across the American South and can be used to make a variety of products, including rope, twine, packaging materials, paper and cardboard, and even biodegradable plastics. 
In this episode of Woven Roots, we'll explore Kanaf production in Kentucky with two Kanaf experts. First, we'll talk with Robin Mason, a Kanaf farmer and founder of Tree of the Field. Robin talks about her innovative work with Kanaf, as well as the potential future of Kanaf in the sustainable energy sector. Next, we talk with Elisa Owen, co-founder of EcoBridge Industries, on the potential of Kanaf to have big impacts on the economy in Kentucky and on the production of biodegradable materials. We'll close out the show with a little history in a short segment with Irene Thornsberg, a longtime member of the Community Farm Alliance, farmer and grower of Kanaf back in the 1990s as part of a CFA program to support tobacco farmers in figuring out new economic opportunities. Thanks for listening in to the Woven Roots Fiber Podcast, your place for Appalachian fiber stories. We start today's episode with Dr. Robin Mason, CEO and founder of Tree of the Field, a Kentucky-based agribusiness that specializes in Kanaf production and product development. Dr. Mason has extensively researched Kanaf and its potential uses and has developed an innovative product called the Fiber Flame Fuel Log, a green energy source that burns cleaner, longer, and hotter than wood. I sat down with Dr. Mason in Berea, Kentucky last month to talk to her about Tree of the Field and her visions for Kanaf production in eastern Kentucky. I'm Robin Richmond Mason and I work with Tree of the Field and we are out of Paint Lick, Kentucky. (laughs) What is Tree of the Field? Tree of the Field is an agribusiness that primarily works with Kanaf and we would like to work with products from the field to the flame. We'd like to make a product that begins with a farmer and ends with a retail product, keeping all the access and the production local. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by field to flame? Field to flame for us means that we begin with a seed and uh, with a local farmer, we work with local farmers and local equipment. We use all local labor for everything that we do, whether that's our truck drivers who transport our goods or our farmers who would be cutting or our harvesters who are harvesting. And we like to keep all of our processing of every part of our operation localized to the local community and keep all the value added, the jobs, and then hopefully as much of the um, resale value as possible. So, for example, one of our products is a fiber flame fire fuel log, and our fiber flame fire fuel logs can actually be sold at a farmer's market. And that would keep the difference between the production and the retail cost in the local farmer's hand instead of going to a box store. It's just an example of how our philosophy plays out in everyday reality is that we like to keep the money local and keep as much of it in the producer's and the owner's hands instead of multiple layers of individuals and the farmer winds up with very little profits. So I understand that Kanaf is the primary crop that you focus on in your business. Would you mind sharing a little bit about Kanaf, what it is, and why you grow it? Kanaf is a strange plant, and it is a plant that most people have never seen. It's a cousin of okra and cotton. And in Kentucky, we can grow right now this summer, in the 2017 summer, we're growing seven tons per acre. We can grow it very dense. It just grows tall. It grows kind of like a weed, and we'll harvest it in December. We allow it to naturally dry in the field so that most of the uh, nutrients go back into the earth. And it doesn't really, it isn't a very nutrient-requiring kind of plant anyway, so it doesn't deplete the earth of so much nutrient when it grows but it does need care like other plants. But we do allow it to dry in the field and then we harvest it. And for most of our purposes right now, we're harvesting and chopping and creating very densified fire logs. A fire log that is made of kanaf burns hotter, longer, and cleaner than a fire log that is just a traditional firewood product. The BTU of firewood is 4,500. The BTU of one of our kanaf logs is 7,500. 
it's even kind of hard to get your head around the idea that you're making a fire fuel out of a crop material. And we think that this is the only fire log, not just in Kentucky, but in the world, that is made out of a crop that grows in one season. So instead of cutting down a tree that grows for 40 years, we can every year an annually renewable fire fuel that burns better than wood. We love trees and we know that trees are useful for many industrial purposes and we and I like furniture and I like paper. That's all uh, fine and dandy, but there shouldn't be waste of trees. Trees are magnificent. Our world needs trees. Our animals need trees. Our environment needs trees. So we think to use trees for the things that trees only can be used for. But if there are other things that crops can come alongside and especially crops that can be grown by farmers, farmers who maybe need cash crops or want to have some diversification on their farms, then I like to see us develop the options and the products as much as possible. I've told a lot of people about Good. the fiber logs. It's <laughs> just so interesting. It's I was like, oh, because we've been looking a lot at natural fiber and yes. what kind of products can we make out of natural fiber. Moving beyond the idea that clothing is all that fiber is yeah. used to make. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how does the canaf plant become the log? The more that I've worked with a canaf plant, so I'll back up and say to you that unashamedly, I'm a creationist and I believe that everything in our environment has a purpose and that part of our challenge in the human experience is to look at plants and look at our natural environment and think what is it best suited for? What are its challenges or what are its properties that can be very useful to man? And I think historically, canaf has been viewed as having some significant challenges. Maybe those have been limitations. So for one thing, it tangles, it's highly absorbent, and it can catch on fire very easily. So those things have been limitations. There's, you can have great stories of canaf being stored improperly and causing barn fires or it being cut and then reabsorbing moisture and mildewing, being so tangly that a weaver couldn't work with it because it's almost like spider legs. So you can look at that plant and you can say to yourself, oh, this is a plague. This plant is just has so many problems. On the other side, if you think about that from the other direction and say to yourself, these three characteristics, there's a purpose for them and can we exploit those purposes? And I want to suggest that yes, we can. I really think that's the approach to lots of things that we think are problems as they are challenges that have special strengths if the human who's involved can accept that challenge and think of it in a different sort of way. So for us, for example, that burning issue the challenge then is to know when to cut it and how to cut it and how to store it so it's not a fire hazard, but taking that low flash point and the high BTU, those are terrific characteristics and densifying those and using it for mankind's good instead of being a dread that could cause a hazard to a farm if it's not done properly. So we need to research, we researched probably five years before we made the first fire log. We need to research and find best practices and then equip an agriculture, anyone who's entering at any stage of this, with best information and with support so they can be successful. We can't expect someone to deal with a very non-traditional plant with traditional farm equipment. Most of us really value our farm equipment. We need it. We depend on it. So I can't expect someone to be harvesting canaf with what they would usually use for their hay baling. The reality is it's going to do destruction to their equipment and that's a capital expense that most of us can't lose. So heavy on research and on information, on information sharing and on intellectual support so that people know exactly what they're doing and what it's about and how they do it before they enter it. But then be brave, I think. Be brave and say to ourselves, uh, this plant, just because it's been viewed in one way as with any other plant, that isn't the only thing it can do. And so if we know it has this terrible problem for tangling, which it does, it is so tangly. It wants to grip itself. If we're trying to work with this as a fiber to weave with, that would be the last thing you'd want. And yet you see that it has such long fibers. That is inviting and such strong fibers, great tensile strength. Then a weaver thinks these are very useful characteristics. If, if only it didn't tangle so badly. 
So really the first thing that we started working with when we were researching Kanef is we started using the Tangle Challenge and we used it to make ground cover to weave Kanef together and we have a particular kind of a machine that we designed to do this into a ground cover product that makes it's like a carpet. It's like a ground carpet and we roll it down between the rows of a garden or an agricultural row cropping and it inhibits sunlight from reaching the earth and, and inhibits weeds from coming up. So with no plastic and with no herbicides I can keep a clean garden if I use that cotton picking terrible characteristic of tangling and allow it to tangle upon itself. So if I were wanting to weave that, if I were determined this will be just one more yarn that's made into fabric, then I'd be unsuccessful. But if I respect the plant has these characteristics and cause those characteristics to work for man's needs, then perhaps it is more useful. You've mentioned that a lot of the work that you've done with Tree of the Field is in Eastern Kentucky. Could you tell us a little bit about your work there and speak to some of the challenges and possibilities of expanding canaf production in Eastern Kentucky? Eastern Kentucky is a wonderful place to work and wonderful people to work with, and it's a privilege to get going to the mountains and think about new, uh, new things that can be done and to work with the folks who are there. We've grown canaf on mountaintop removal sites, and I would really like to grow a large percentage of what we could grow on mountaintop removal sites. One reason is is that land is some of the only flat land that's in the region, but also farmers in many other places have lots of options. Someone might think, well, I might plant wheat this year, or maybe I'll have a dairy farm, or maybe I'll have poultry. In those areas and on that land, there's not the options which cash crops shall I grow. Often that soil has been depleted, and it needs tender, loving care to bring it back to productivity and then to plant a crop that justifies that input sometimes that math equation is difficult and it makes me really pleased to imagine that we could grow something on those sites that have real money value that are solving energy needs and in the same time reclaiming that soil so that it's more useful I'd like to see a place where Tree of the Field works in partnerships with local farmers and local landowners and work with enriching that soil and bringing it up and maybe we plant canaf for three or five years and each year that soil is getting better and we're replenishing that soil and we're using the best possible knowledge and research that we can and working with our county extension folks and our agriculture folks to know how to help that soil be as healthy as it can be. I'd like to imagine that in five years, instead of just growing canaf, that someone could grow vegetables, that local people could feed their family off that, that we've given folks back the gift of the soil being better when we leave than when we come. In the meantime, they've had productive crops, but they can do other things and diversify with that wonderful land that they have. I want to give you one of my lines I use in PR a lot, and it is the idea that it's not okay for us to leave the land in East Kentucky without all of us taking common responsibility. We can pick it all day. We can make placards. We can make signs. That isn't doing anything to make that environment more healthy. The only people who have a responsibility for reclaiming and enriching the soil of those mountaintop removal sites are those of us who've used electricity. Everybody else is off the hook. And that doesn't mean invading anybody's property rights. It means providing whatever supports we can to those communities so that they can do the things they choose so their soil can be as healthy as it can, so that they can have local food sources, so they can have orchards, so they can have cash crops, so they can have dignity of labor by giving them back a land that is healthy as it was when we began. So you spoke some to the need to replenish the soil on mountaintop removal sites in order to have effective production start there. Do you think that work needs to be put into working with the soil in order to actually expand canaf production? To motivate investment. Why should anyone care about that soil being barren? We all should care about it. And we should care about it because it's the soil that those communities have. And they had beautiful forest and wonderful understory 
and help the environments before we all benefited from the mineral extraction. And I am in no way opposed to coal. However, we are where we are now, and that soil can be reclaimed for production again. And I'd like to use CANAF as one of the change agents, as something that motivates folks to think about this land is worth investing in. These communities are worth investing in. Tobacco land is another area. This year we're growing a lot of tobacco land. And the only land that I really personally don't feel that I want to grow on is I really don't want to grow on food land because there's other land that doesn't have a purpose. And so if someone has good local food land that they're growing to for their local farmers markets and their families, I hope that they can continue to grow food there. But land that doesn't have another purpose or land that has only been a cash crop as maybe in tobacco land, if that can also be CANAF or if it could only be CANAF as in the mountaintop removal land that's maybe not being productive right now, I'd like to come along and offer that option for people and them to become aware that that is an option that you can grow energy you know one of our lines that i try to always make sure is on our packaging is that the products the fiber flame fire fuel products come from eastern kentucky they come from the heart of coal country where we're growing energy and i want to kind of turn that idea on its head that energy can be grown even though the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow fire always makes heat and we can do that out of eastern kentucky to learn more about Robin and Tree of the Field, and to find out where to buy Fiber Flame Fuel Logs, visit their website at www.treeofthefield.com. You can also find Tree of the Field's Fiber Flame Fuel Logs at the Whole Foods in Lexington, Kentucky, or on Amazon. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT Mountain Community Radio. This evening, we hear from Sam Hamlin, an Appalachian Transition Fellow with the Community Farm Alliance, who produced this podcast about a fiber-producing plant called Canaf. In early August, I traveled to Louisville, Kentucky, to sit down with Elisa Owen, co-founder of Echo Bridge Industries, a Kentucky-based business dedicated to the growth of canaf and other natural fibers for use in earth-friendly plastics, textiles, and green building materials. I talked with Elisa about the unique qualities of canaf in the textile sector, as well as her visions for eco-friendly product development. Elisa, thanks so much for joining us today. If you wouldn't mind, could you start by sharing a little bit about how you originally got into natural fiber? I'm trained as an economist, and as an economist, I was always interested in environmental economics. Worked for a while in the energy sector, mainly overseas, and doing international energy projects. And it is not possible to work very long in the energy sector before you start having to consider alternatives to what we are doing right now. And so I started to become interested in other options for energy production and also just the environmental movement in general and how we were going to care for our planet better than we have done in the past. As a result, while I was working in the energy industry, I started being interested in environmental things. When I came back to Louisville from the Washington DC area, I was working in the pastorate, which is my other vocation, but then I also got involved in a nonprofit organization called Breaking New Grounds, which was a farm to table nonprofit that was working on making soil out of compost in the city and then growing with that soil greens and other good healthy things to eat for people in local Louisville restaurants. All of that led up to me meeting my business partner who introduced me 
to Kanaf as a plant that we could grow that could really revolutionize the materials industry here in this country and beyond. It is a plant that's similar to hemp, but he came from the government sector out of Frankfurt, Kentucky, and so he knew that hemp was coming in terms of maybe an alternative for tobacco in the state, but he also knew that regulatorily speaking, it was gonna be a nightmare, at least for a while, and so he started researching alternatives, and it turned out that others besides him had researched alternatives and they had landed upon Kanaf, which is a hemp-like plant. It's not related to hemp. It's not related to much of anything that we know because it's native to West Africa. But it can be grown in tropical areas. It grows and reseeds in our areas, in our latitudes. It will grow, but it won't reseed, which is bad news, good news for those of us that grow it. It's Bad news because we have to continue to produce our seeds somewhere else or in greenhouses. It's good news because we know it's not gonna be another kudzu, which for someone who is paying attention to environmental impact is an important thing to know. And what is Kanaf used for? What kinds of products can it be made into? I find it more useful to talk about what Kanaf cannot be used for, which is very little. It's kind of like George Washington Carver and the peanut. Once he started working with it, he found that there were many, many uses for it. Well, the same can be said for Kanaf. There are many, many uses for it. You can use it for pulp and paper. You can use it for textiles, yarn. It can make clothes. You can use it for bioplastics. It has carbon chains in it that can be used for the production of bioplastics, and there's no impact on the food supply if you use Kanaf for plastic. You can make insulation out of Kanaf. You can make all kinds of building materials, wood and wood-like products. You can use the herd, which is the inner part of the plant for woody products. You can make furniture out of it. Just heard recently from someone else involved in Kanaf that they have succeeded in making a building block out of it, which is lighter than stronger than the concrete building blocks that we use often to make very simple buildings out of. It really is, what can't you do with it? And that's what's so exciting about it, that besides being an opportunity for farmers in terms of growing it, it can also be an opportunity for entrepreneurs around the region, you need to grow the raw material close to where you manufacture it because it's so bulky. So it's really hard to move and it's expensive to move. But once you have the raw material, the floodgate is open for what do you want to make out of this? And what's going to be your niche for selling a product that people can use that does not involve extracting, for example, fossil fuels out of the earth? So it's an exciting opportunity once we get the raw material online. I think that people will research and begin to realize that the sky's the limit. And is Kanaf being widely grown in the U.S. at this time? Kanaf is currently not being grown on a wide scale in the United States. I think this is not surprising because what we have found is we thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start growing Kanaf 
And all the industry players who currently use Canaf are going to come running and say, thanks be to God, we're so glad you're here, and we want to buy your raw Canaf from you. Wrong. But here's why it's wrong. Because what happens is that when you outsource a raw material to another country, because, for example, the labor costs are cheaper, you also outsource a whole portion of the supply chain. And whether it's the whole supply chain or not depends on the specific product that you're making. But with Canaf, for example, it's so bulky, it's hard to just import the raw material. You also, when you export the supply chain, you export the know-how for how you take the Canaf from field to yarn-ready fiber. All of those supply chains go with the plant when you allow it to be grown overseas. Right now, Canaf is grown in the United States for niche markets, really small niche markets that are very specific for the oil industry. For example, there is a company who grows Canaf for their absorbent materials that are used in the oil industry in the Gulf of Mexico. They have been able to attach the links of the supply chain because the oil industry uses it directly in the Gulf of Mexico. They can grow it. It's not too many steps from growing it to having it used in the industry. What we're trying to do in addition to growing Canaf is also putting in place the links of the supply chain. And I don't think this is unusual for natural fiber in the United States at all, that you cannot just say, great, now we have the raw material. You also have to say, okay, who knows how to prepare the fiber to make yarn? Who knows how to make the yarn? Who knows how to then make the yarn into cloth? So it's really putting lots of puzzle pieces in place. But the good news, I think, for the natural fiber industry is that when you say what we're after is a natural fiber made in the USA yarn, people stand up and cheer and say, when can we get some? Something that comes up a lot in my conversations with folks in the fiber sector here is that while there are so many possibilities for natural fiber production with plant and animal fibers, you know, sheep, goats, hemp, canav, the big question is, are there markets? And while farmers can definitely grow fiber and produce fiber, where can they sell it and actually make a profit? And are there markets for natural fiber products in the state? What's your perspective on that, particularly with Canaf? Echo Bridge Industries, that's the company that I'm a part of that grows the fiber, and then we also work to develop the products. Here's what we tell our farmers. If we don't have your plant sold, we will not ask you to grow it because we think that's counterproductive. We don't believe that with so many parts of the supply chain in question that there is a grow it and they will come possibility. That said, what we do is make the market because we are convinced that Canaf needs to come to the United States, both for the sake of our farmers and also the sake of people who are sitting there saying, give us a smart manufacturing job and we will be so happy. So we think that for the sake of the farmers, those folks who want to work in manufacturing, and our environment, that we need to have a local ability to produce natural fiber goods. And not just at a cottage industry level although that's lovely. We're looking for industry partners who want to explore the possibility that Canaf could be used in their products. And when we find them, 
we say, what do you want to make? And they tell us, and we say, give us a little time and we're going to go off and figure out how to make it for you. And only then do we say to our farmers, here's how much we need you to grow. Now, this year we're growing 100 acres. I have in my head the possibility that in the future we could be growing hundreds of thousands of acres. Because I know enough from having talked to industry to know that if we can give them not just the raw material, but that product one or two rungs up the supply chain, which I know we're smart enough to do here in this country, there's no question about that. It's just a question of, do we have a market? And my answer is a resounding, yes, we do. We don't want to build it and assume that people will come. Whatever products that we are working on developing are products that industry customers have said to us, we want to buy that. And we have said, great, then let's figure out, give us some time, we're going to go away and we're going to figure out how to do you know, the fiber to second step to third step. You know, something else that has come up a lot in my conversations about obstacles to growth of the natural fiber sector in Kentucky is the shortage of mills or processing facilities, you know, places where plant fibers like hemp and canaf can actually be taken from its raw form and turned into some kind of value added or final product. How do you uh, process the canaf that you work with? And do you have any thoughts on processing facilities and building that infrastructure in Kentucky? What we have done is we've worked with the people who need to develop products to find ways to either find someone who can help us produce for those in-use products or to find ways to treat the canaf in the field to make it processable without any intermediate steps. In the case of some of Tree of the Fields products, we found ways to grow it and treat it in the field to make it immediately processable. In other products, we know other fiber folks that are operating in Kentucky. We have decent relationships with most of them. We have found folks who harvest for a living and they are willing to work with us to harvest in such a way that we can then use the material immediately. We also Later on, with some of the other products, we will have to engage mills. There is a growing ecosystem that allows natural fiber to become more and more possible in Kentucky. In addition to that fact, many of those mills are small at the moment. But if you are working on both ends, what I like to say is that EcoBridge Industries works on bookends of the supply chain. We have the raw material and we're trying to find the end user so that the financial infrastructure is in place that will allow us to put the middle of the supply chain in place. Mm -hmm. If you go to investors with a contract with a Fortune 500 company, you better believe we're gonna be able to upscale those mills quickly. Have we done it yet? No, but if the contract is in place, which you can do at a much smaller scale, getting samples to people, you can use the smaller scale infrastructure. And when push comes to shove and somebody says, we want several million pounds of this, then you go to investors. And with an in-use contract, you are likely to get that deal closed. 
Does Kanaf grow well in eastern Kentucky, or do you think it would grow well? And do you think this is a possibility for farmers who are interested in, in getting into new types of agriculture in central and eastern Kentucky? Most of the Kanaf that we have been able to grow well for on a commercial scale has been grown in western or central Kentucky. That said, in 2016, we planted 100 acres of kanaf in eastern Kentucky to test whether or not it could be grown on abandoned mine lands. Because I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with the terrain, but because of mountaintop removal mining, a lot of that AML land, which is abandoned mine land, is flat and could be used for agriculture because it's flat. It's not like you're farming up the side of a mountain because the mountaintop no longer exists. With that the reality, we know that there is land out there begging to be used for a productive use. And so what we did in 2016 was learn a very expensive lesson. I chalk it up to being a worthwhile lesson to have learned, and that is exactly what we need to do to the land to make it tillable for Kanaf. And so what I would say to folks is, what I have learned is that as a private sector business owner, I can't treat the land to make it usable for Kanaf. But what I can do is I can promise nonprofits and government officials in that area of the world that if you will build it, we will come. And we would love to grow our Kanaf on abandoned mine lands because that works well for us and for you because then if we are growing our Kanaf there, our manufacturing has to be placed right beside it. And so the answer to your question is, yes, it can, but it's going to take a concerted community-wide effort to see the potential and work with private sector folks like us who would be jumping at the opportunity if we could get some support in making the land usable for Kanaf growing. Is it possible to grow Kanaf in the east? Absolutely, we did it and we harvested some from it. We had some things that we learned, the new elk population in eastern Kentucky loves Kanaf. You have to grow for the elk and for industry if you're going to grow Kanaf there, but you, you can do that, right? You can work with your ecosystem. You also have to fertilize at a certain level to make it possible for the Kanaf to really take root and grow to its full maturity to make it economically viable. But it's doable, and we know it's doable. It's just a question, again, of having the right partners step out of the shadows and say, we want this too. Elisa, in your perspective, what are the biggest barriers to expanding your business right now? And how do you see the barriers to expanding the natural fiber sector in Kentucky more broadly? We need farmer partners. And I don't blame any farmer that has ever walked for seeing the next biggest thing and saying, yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. And the last time I tried that, I didn't get paid. So one of the things that we have tried to do is to, if when I go to people, I do not say we are Exxon, because you know what? We aren't, we're far from it. So we need to take steps as a small startup to build trust and also verify. And so if farmers are afraid that they're not gonna get paid, 
we work with them to make them know that they're going to get paid, whether that's a letter of credit with a bank, whether that's whatever you have to do. You cannot expect a farmer who lives off the land and who has risk himself to take on your risk for you if you're a new business. So one of the things that I have been blessed with are people who will help mitigate the farmer's risk by providing letters of credit so that they can learn to trust not only that Canaf grows and grows well and that there will be yield, but also that the people who want the Canaf grown are trustworthy and that they will be there for the farmers that are working with us. So I think that was an early lesson that I learned that was very important, that if we cannot succeed as the market maker unless farmers are convinced of our willingness to follow through. And so that's been very, very important, I think, for our business model. So I certainly would not say that farmers are the problem at all and they don't want to try anything new because we have not found that. The question is how can we make sure that our risk is ours and not totally on the farmer and how can the farmer be comfortable that we really know that and have taken some of his or her risk from him on that front. Also in terms of challenges are just the challenges of getting anything new up and running which is the question people ask which is well, if it has so much potential, why hasn't it been done before? The assumption being that if it hasn't been done before, it must be because it doesn't have much potential. There must be some flaw that is, has kept people to do, from doing it before now, but that is not true. Yes, some people have tried with Canaf and failed. The landscape is different now. It's a different cultural landscape. It's a different environmental reality landscape. And so perseverance is absolutely necessary and also the ability to hear clearly that just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. You know, a lot of people in the fiber world talk for a real need for a shift in consciousness in our society, particularly around consumer choices that consider environmental sustainability and the value of products over the cost of products. How do you think this impacts the CANAF world? And do you think these ideas of the slow or conscious fashion movement impact how the CANAF sector can grow? I think it impacts the landscape. I don't think it is an immediate game changer. In other words, I still think that economics matter, that you can't sell something that is a similar product as one that has already been made for five times what it costs to make the other one. So there are other factors that continue to play in. But with the reality of climate change, which is a reality, we are going to have to start considering what we can do besides make our materials out of things that we extract from the ground. And because that is a reality, then that can serve as an impetus to get people to dream about plastic that you don't get out of a well. One of the most exciting potentials for me about CANAF is that it can make 
bioplastics. Legos, which is one of the most plastic intensive companies in the world, has set aside I don't know how many millions of dollars to try to transition their product from earth extracted plastic to bio-based plastics. Legos is the front guard. It's going to happen. Whether or not my company is involved in the happening, I don't know and I don't know how much I care. What makes me happy is the arc of justice, the arc of environmental stewardship is moving in that direction. And just to have a very small part of watching it happen is really exciting. As you mentioned, CANAF can be used in so many products, including plastics. Do you think it would be useful for those interested in natural fibers to think about fiber and its potential beyond just apparel? Oh, yeah. That's part of what's so exciting about CANAF. Apparel is great, and I think the apparel industry is the third most polluting industry in the world. That said, building materials, energy production, both of those are also industries that make an impact on the world, and they also can be made out of CANAF. We need to think as broadly as we can think the CANAF plant or a plant like it may offer us solutions. I have two children, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and I am overwhelmed by the plastic trinkets and the thought that you could make a children's toy out of something that was non-toxic makes me want to sing a song. Yes, it's exciting to think about. Elisa, do you have any concluding thoughts to close us out with? Just to reiterate how exciting I think this opportunity is, not just for me personally as a small business owner, but I am someone who thinks that business in general needs to be missional. And I love being involved in this because I can see the immediate impact that it's going to have on me and my children and my children's children. And what I would encourage people to do is learn more about natural fibers of all stripes so that you can be part of the material You can find out more information about Elisa's work with EchoBridge Industries at echobridgeindustries.com. Before we wrap up, we want to share a special part of an interview we did with longtime member of Community Farm Alliance, Irene Thornsberg, who experimented with growing canaf in the 1990s in the midst of the tobacco crisis in Kentucky. As some tobacco farmers were losing their farms, many CFA members worked on figuring out how to support tobacco farmers and exploring new crops and building new economies to sustain their farms. In late August, CFA staff member Maggie Smith and I traveled to Bath County to sit down with Irene to hear more about her work with CANAF. How did you all get into growing CANAF? Trying to find something that the farmers could make money on besides tobacco when it was going out, find, a, find another cash crop. Was it successful? Not yet. They're still working on it, been working on it for years. We went to Mississippi on a trip because they grow it down there. But they have a longer growing season than we have here. So ours was planted early after frost. You had to plant after frost. But this growing season wasn't long enough to get seeds. It was killed before then. We had a good crop and it grew good. Where did y'all sell it? We didn't sell it. We just had a test plot. See if the frost would get it and it did. 
What were y'all thinking that the knaf could be used for? Well, it can be used for materials. It can be eat. It can be used oh. in food. It can be used to make soap. It can be used to make rope. That's what they used to make out of it was rope years ago. That's what they they grew it years ago. In Kentucky? Yeah, in the 80s, I guess. Uh, 1800s, I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they used to grow canef. And they made rope out of it. But mostly Mississippi and farther that way grew it. I've heard my uncle talk about it one time that they grew it here. Well, it grows wild here now. You'll find a plant mm. every once in a while, yeah. Did mm. you all harvest it at all? We cut several stalks, and I had them for years, and a girl asked me to borrow them, and she never did bring them back. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. she was taking something in college, and she never did bring them back. Well, that wraps up this episode of Woven Roots, the Fiber Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed hearing about the current innovative work around canaf production going on right here in Kentucky, as well as a little bit of history. Canaf is definitely something for those interested in natural fibers and sustainable development to keep an eye on. We're excited to bring you updates on this work in the future. Make sure to keep a lookout for our future podcasts on hemp, natural plant dyes, and more stories from the Appalachian fiber world. And make sure to follow updates on Woven Roots and the Community Farm Alliance on our website, www.cfaky.org. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Woven Roots. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Mountain Talk, featuring the Woven Roots Fiber Podcast by Community Farm Alliance Appalachian Transition Fellow Sam Hanlon. If you'd like to find this or other episodes of Mountain Talk, please visit our website at www.wmmt.org. And from all of us at WMMT, thank you for listening.